Welcome to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Today, we're going to be talking uh, about the University of Texas at San Antonio and the Project Galahad there, or Galahad Project. Which way do you guys prefer to refer to it? I would say Galahad Project. Galahad yeah, Project. Yeah. Okay, there we go. So I'm joined by James Benson and Farhan Patwa, who uh, are members of the Institute of Cybersecurity at UTSA. And I'll, I'll let each of you introduce yourself, kind of your role there, and, and how did you get involved with Galahad? Farhan? So I can start. Um, I've been with... Uh, um, UTSA for the past uh, six years and you know I work part-time right now at UTSA and my other stint is at another company called Starlab and Starlab is the one who created this software uh, called Galahad and it's based off of a IARPA project um, and the name of the IARPA project is called Virtues and for virtuous user environment and um, uh, you know, pretty much uh, my job was to look for a transition partner for this project once the IRPA project was done. And being at UTSA, it was a natural fit. And um, what I do at UTSA is I work with uh, students and James um, pretty much on the research side of access control and looking for cloud technologies to bridge the gap between theoretical models and practical implementation. So once it got bridged over to UTSA, uh, I, I've been at UTSA for about 10 years now, uh, working with the Institute for Cybersecurity for uh, the past three years or so. And uh, I, I also uh, assist with uh, PhD students on um, implementing their theoretical work into uh, applicable uh, real life uh, technology. And, uh, and I help maintain their our cloud environments that we have uh, on site. Cool. So now the bit of what the heck is Galahad, and the, and then how did it arrive at the name of Galahad? So it, I don't know which order you want to answer those ones in as well, but this will help the listeners to get uh, a little bit of context about who y'all are, what we're going to talk about for the the program here today. Galahad uh, uh, obviously is a, a knight of the round table. Uh, is designed to um, uh, help safeguard. Uh, the, the Holy Grail. The Galahad project is designed to help uh, secure users' environments, um, particularly for the uh, uh, government agencies um, and their desktop environment. So it's very good at uh, providing a virtual environment, a virtual desktop that is on um, the cloud, on a public cloud, uh, Amazon's cloud. And it limits users to what they're able to access. And in doing that, the technology helps. So I can chime in, you yeah. know, the, the, like James said, the name Galahad comes from uh, King Arthur's uh, Knights. And the, um, I think the idea was that Galahad and all components uh, would be named after something from this mythological time. There we go. So we have all these different components that are named so, Galahad. So is there a Project Arthur already? <laughs> no. no. So yet. there's no there's no overarching one that's in charge of everything else yet. No. <laughs> no. Okay. No, no. Yeah. Um, so we have Gaius and all these different components Excalibur. that are named Excalibur. That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, but the the basis is of course. Um, from the IRPA project called Virtue, and there the premise is that a uh, user desktop environment uh, needed for a security user security desk, uh, user's desktop in a security infrastructure, um, and how to provide security um, and protect 
uh, user desktops in that environment is the problem that Virtue presents, and uh, Galahad is one component that tries to resolve that. So yeah, you said that uh, right now you're able to run Galahad on the Amazon cloud infrastructure. So uh, for our techie listeners out there, does this run as its own Amazon machine instance or AMI? Or how, how do you instantiate uh, an instance of Galahad on AWS? So right now, the way uh, Galahad runs is as a all these, um, what do you call it, uh, discrete software components on AWS, Amazon and they run on separate instances. So there's a, uh, there's a couple of services that we u- utilize in AWS, including EC2, and then there's the uh, Elastic File uh, Storage that we use also, and then the um, Route 53, which is the DNS solution. Yeah. So it, yeah, it runs as a complete software solution inside of AWS, not just one one instance. Okay. And then is it available as a, an open source project uh, for folks to experiment with themselves? So the way it started was that this was a uh, IARPA project that, that was developed by StarLab. And the, um, the point of transitioning it to UTSA was that UTSA would open source it. We have open sourced it. Um, and our goal is to, um, you know, create some kind of turnkey um, uh, open source deployment tool that we can give it out to different universities, different entities, anybody interested to bring up their own uh, Galahad deployment um, right now in AWS, but in the future in different platforms. Yeah. yeah. We're working actively to migrate it from uh, AWS to OpenStack, so it doesn't cost a dime for any university. Yeah, so the universities that are running their own private clouds based on OpenStack right now would be able to then run Galahad on top of that. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so uh, go through, I guess, some of the, the different components here. So you're creating a secure desktop environment and securing it, it feels like, with multiple different um, layers of security. One, it sounds like, being DNS, so that it's, the instance is going to a trusted DNS server and maybe you're blacklisting or filtering things at, at that point. But uh, walk through kind of uh, what's the, the different of this of Galahad versus just booting up a, a virtual machine and running uh, like SE Linux or something else on there. Sure. So one of the key paradigms of um, Virtue, which is the, uh, you know, the, the source for Galahad, yeah. is the concept of restricting uh, or provide how to provide applications to users. So in a typical user desktop environment, uh, a user has access to a desktop, whether it's virtual or, or real, where all the different applications are available. Um, the same thing applies for a virtual machine or whether it be um, uh, you know, a container instance. In, in Galahad, we have these concepts of roles. So each user is um, provided these roles and these roles define the, um, you know, what the user needs to have access to. So for example, if there's one user who needs to write documents and uh, browse on the internet, then the only two applications that administrator would deem uh, needed by that user is Firefox and Microsoft Word. And so as the, uh, you know, the desktop environment that is provided, that, that user would only have access to these two uh, applications. And they would be running in Docker containers, which are protected by Galahad. There's all different layers which we'll go into um, that provide uh, heightened security. And also, the the user would have a um, uh, you know exported display 
and the only two applications that would be available in that exported display would be Firefox and Microsoft Word. Yeah, so I guess if, if I've got the, the apps running in a container cloud side, then what are you using for the, the thin client or terminal client at the, the user input side of things? So right now, um, you're talking about the display, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if I if I go back in and the way I think about this stuff, so we used to export displays all the time with X Windows. So you would have the X Windows server running somewhere else. You would have a thin client terminal that was running the display and the keyboard, and then over the network would be the actual communication for that app. We've sort of gone away from that. We kind of do it with a web browser, and you've got a back end. JavaScript app maybe running a little bit of front-end JavaScript, and you've got a, a session in a web browser in a way. Um, and, but the, the concept of a thin client these days is something that um, some centers run, but not a lot of folks do at this point. Yeah, so it's pretty much similar. We, what we use is an open-source project called Expra, and there's an Expra server running on the Docker container, which is hosting the application. And then um, Expra has... A, couple of clients that it presents uh, in HTML5 or there's a Python. We use HTML5 client wrapped in a, um, um, I think it's a, a Node.js provided the Chrome app. And so that's pretty much what uh, Node.js runs on uh, the the client side. Um, and that's how the Express server is, is accessed. Okay, so any anything running for my user input terminal, if, if I'm able to get a web browser up, then I can access all of these apps on the back end. Yeah, we have a small widget that we use right now, um, a Node.js-based uh, widget. So we have to install some tools, but it's very minimal, yes. Browser, I guess, with browser extensions then? Uh, yes, there are Chrome extensions. Chrome extensions, okay. Great. I thought you can also access it through the remote desktop, no? Um, you can access it through the remote desktop, but that's not uh, part of the whole solution because you cannot do stuff like copy and paste and stuff like that. So RDP? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah you, you cannot do RDP you right can't now. Yeah, you can't restrict copy and paste over RDP. RDP doesn't understand how to do that. Yeah. You, could build a, yeah. you could build an add-on to an RDP client that would be able to restrict it. So, Some folks have done that, but so that's like, not a standardized thing, yeah. Yeah, like James says that you, you can access it um, over um, you know the, the browser, but what we do is we provide a a key based uh, access using their the user's SSH key, and so that kind of protects it from anybody being able to access this, right? And so each user has their own distinct uh, SSH key, and um, an SSH tunnel is established between the client side and the server, which is in AWS where this thing is running, and you know pretty much that's how we uh, protect that side of the communication. Yeah, it's locked down pretty well. Yeah. So you're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we're discussing uh, the Galahad Project, which is uh, now at UTSA. Uh, it's a secure desktop, and uh, we're going into uh, kind of how you, you tie this together and provide secure applications uh, hosted in a, a cloud environment. Uh, for those of you that will be able to stick with us uh, for the, the program, either uh, on your AM radio dial or via your iHeartRadio streaming application on your iOS uh, Android device or through your web browser at www.iheartradio.com, uh, That'll be. We'll be uh, discussing this uh, in depth here for uh, the remainder of the hour. Uh, we'll take a, a quick break at the bottom of the hour for a news, traffic, and weather update. Uh, if you're not going to be able to stick around with us, this will go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, September the 10th. 
And it'll also go out there uh, to uh, all of the podcasting apps all across the Internet. If you have a favorite podcasting app where you do not see the CyberTalk Radio program uh, listed, uh, let us know on Facebook or Twitter at CyberTalk Radio. We will fix that, and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio T-shirt. I guess I, I don't know which which one of y'all is best question for, but uh, with UTSA uh, as the home for the project, uh is this kind of the first type of project that's been handed off to UTSA or uh, you guys have a, a, a history of doing that and kind of taking these type of cloud projects and, and integrating them in for a research environment? So this is the first uh, production piece of software that uh, our institute has acquired. Uh, previously, we worked on uh, independent projects with uh, PhD students, um, but the, the other uh, main production software that we did a lot of research with um, before this was OpenStack itself, um, where we designed uh, different access control uh, points and policies. Um, but since then, uh, yeah, this is our, our latest piece of production, and we're hoping to make this uh, platform uh, where we can continue doing a lot of very interesting research. So I think one unique thing here is that, um, you know, generally when companies spend their you know capital and their their resources to build the software they don't like to just give it out unless it's open source software yeah and so i think this is a very unique opportunity because this was developed as a irpa project and so the funding was coming from irpa and one of the stipulations was that it be open sourced and which is very um, very unusual for yeah. for a government to want to open source software. Yeah, yeah. Usually, it, it comes through some Freedom of Information Act request that they are a little bit grouchy about uh, having to process. But yeah, I mean, in theory, most of the software, unless it's a national security reason, should be open source if it's paid for with government dollars. So this is your radio host's opinion on that one. Um, <laughs> but it's a yeah, it's a lot more tricky and messy in the the reality of it for for many of the different government operators. Yeah. Yeah, so this was more of a, like a you know brainchild of um, um, you know a project manager in IARPA, and um, I think it started more as like a proof of concept that hey, this is uh, you know something that will fundamentally change how um, users in a in a secure environment can access their desktop. Yeah. Um, so there were four performers um, that actually worked on on the requirements uh, laid down by Virtue. And uh, the company that I work for, Starlab, it was one of them. So there are three other companies that actually created uh, the software also that does something similar to what Galahad does. Yeah. So for, for folks that want to look at the Galahad source or uh, get involved with the project, is it posted up on a UTSA website or a source code repo somewhere? Yes. Yeah, so there, it's located both on GitHub and GitLab um, for you to, to, to download and, and deploy. Uh, there, obviously, this is this went from a, a, a private uh, IARPA project to open source, so there's still some bugs migrating it over. But uh, we're working hard on getting it so anyone can deploy it anywhere on on any type of cloud environment. Um, and for universities, uh, the this piece of software is, I would say, incredibly valuable not only for us but for any university that does uh, any sort of technology research. Uh, it it can do. Uh, it can generate a, a tremendous amount of data. Um, we mentioned earlier the the different levels of security, and it's really uh, valuable in generating um, hypervisor uh, data, um, virtual machine data, Docker uh, level uh, data, uh, application level data, and you can use that to 
do any type of you know machine learning that you want to do. You can practice uh, or deploy various uh, access control methods. Um, I mean, any point of it, it's all open source. You can access and modify, deploy whatever you want. Yeah. So the the project itself um, sounds like it uses many different things out there in the the open source community, whether it's Docker or others. Um, what? Uh, how did you guys, as you were building this project, go about language selection and like where would you build from the ground up versus where would you incorporate something like Docker rather than making your own container layer? So uh, I think there were. Um um, you know, a few uh, senior architects involved in the initial proposal uh, to satisfy the requirements of uh, virtue. And at that time, the decision was made that, um, you know, running this as a, in a nested hypervisor in, um, and AWS was a requirement, so that was not something that we chose. Yeah. Um, uh, in a nested hypervisor and the, uh, the management of the, um, and the orchestration would be done using Python. So the majority of the front end of the um, of the software is done in Python, um, and the the key piece is we use a nested hypervisor, which is uh, Zen on top of Zen. So this is using the Zen hypervisor that AWS provides, and um, hooking in so that we can spin up an EC2 instance, and um, essentially run a VM on top of there. And inside there, we run these uh, Docker containers. Um, the, the use of Docker containers was to be able to segregate each application in its own Docker container. And since Docker container provides, um, uh, you know, the security policies that can be applied uh, per container. And so these are tailored for each specific application. And then, so if, if I was going out there and I was looking to, to put this together myself, so it would be helpful for me on the team to have somebody who understood the Zen hypervisor, someone that understands Docker, someone that knows Python, someone that understands Node.js, um, any other kind of fundamental technologies I'm leaving out? Networking. Networking. So like the, yeah, the SSH tunneling, S-tunnel. Yeah. Uh, There's a private uh, uh, network inside that all the, the VMs can migrate between. Okay. So we use uh, uh, Open vSwitch to okay. provide like a private network between the, um, the host that actually runs the applications. Um, and uh, the management nodes. Yeah, is Open vSwitch integrated into Zen at this point, or is it a, still a separate project? Um, not sure, but we run it as a separate project. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so you know, we run it as a separate uh, software application um, on the you know on our management nodes and on the uh, the node that runs the Zen hypervisor. Yeah, the the yeah, Open vSwitch started as an NSF funded research project that eventually was commercialized by Nicira and then sold to, to VMware. But yeah, that was another one kind of came out of a research lab and open sourced and then on to different commercial implementations of it. So yeah, cool piece of software. Yeah, very useful. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we're discussing UTSA's Project Galahad. Uh, so, gentlemen, as we head into this bottom of the hour break for news, traffic, and weather here, uh, one of the items I like to share with all of our uh, listeners is your backgrounds and how the heck you all ended up in cybersecurity. So uh, walk me through your your path uh, from kind of like whether you figured this out in childhood or whether you were uh, in college majoring in something else and, and came across cybersecurity. So uh, which uh, which ways did, did you guys end up here um, as professionals in the industry? So I don't have a glamorous story there. <laughs> this was completely coincidental. Yeah, well, no, so, it's, it's good for folks to hear these. So I used to work in uh, in the telecom industry, 
in uh, in Dallas. Um, you know, spent like 15 years there, and then I moved to uh, San Antonio, um, and uh, uh, you know, pretty much I couldn't uh, continue uh, working remotely for that uh, for that company anymore. Um, it was Ericsson, um, and you know, I had a lot of experience working with uh, systems. Um, you know, uh, building kernels, uh, working with uh, uh, shell scripts and uh, software applications. And so I got hired uh, in UTSA at the Institute for Cybersecurity as a, um, you know, glorified system administrator. And, um, you know, the, the, the person who hired me, uh, he had developed the, um, uh, you know, first cloud computing um, platform in UTSA. Uh, at uh, Institute for Cybersecurity, and you know, uh, pretty much six months down the line, he uh, moved to um, California to um, another company called Joint, which was a, a cloud uh, uh, cloud provider and a uh, you know um, running on top of Illumina. That's yeah, a, a topic for another program. Yeah, it was it's a, not the Illuminati listeners. They're not running a cloud with the Illuminati joint. It was not. No, it's a open source uh, version of the Sun Solaris operating system. Yeah, but, it was yeah. called Smart OS. Yeah, they had. I guess they had their own fork of Illumina. Yes. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and actually, we we ran that uh, uh, you know uh, cloud application for a long time uh, on on our servers uh, until it got open sourced. Yeah. And so um, after that, I got promoted to associate uh, director of the institute, and you know started working with the students um, on you know cybersecurity, access control, and pretty much that was my uh, foray into cybersecurity. Not not very glamorous. So how did you end up in in computing overall then? Uh, so if you go back, so you were working in software development, low level software development in the telecom industry. Uh, how did you find your way into technology? So, you know, I guess it starts with uh, uh, my dad. He was, uh, he always ha aspired to be an engineer, but um, because of his family situation, he couldn't get an engineering degree. He got a printing degree to on a printing press. Um, but he was always involved in small, you know, projects, uh, like local, uh, you know, engineering projects. And so he kind of inspired that thing of uh, becoming an engineer and, uh, I wanted to be an automobile engineer, but there were no jobs at that time when I started. So um, my brother said, hey, there's a lot of jobs in electrical engineering. Why don't you do electrical engineering? So I opted to do electrical engineering. And then, um, you know, uh, my brother advised me to, hey, you better take programming classes if you want to go anywhere in engineering. Yeah. So I took this one C++ programming class. And then, um, like, a couple of months after I took that class, uh, you know, I interviewed for a job, and they said, do you know C++? And I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah. That's how I pretty much got into computing. There you go. And then on your way in. So how about you, James? Uh, yeah, my my pathway is not glamorous by any way <laughs> means uh, either. Uh, I, I went to college actually for uh, physics and I got my bachelor's and I went on for my master's and I did uh, material science uh, making nanoparticles. Um, and then I went on for my. Doesn't PhD. have a lot to do with cybersecurity. No, nothing, nothing at all. Uh, I went on for my PhD, and I switched actually into th theoretical physics. Um, and I decided that this is too theoretical for me. But I started learning Fortran because that's what theoretical physicists do. 
And so, so it's good to know that there's a use for Fortran still. <laughs> that's right, Fortran yeah. 97. Uh, theoretical physicists out here, there's likely some stuff you could do that's not Fortran, but we'll have that conversation another day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I decided I, I, I didn't like this, but I liked the Fortran side of it. And so I went into, um, ironically enough, electrical engineering, uh, but more focused towards any classes that took programming. Yeah. So I did chip design. I did uh, any programming classes. I did... Uh, anything like that, digital signal processing. Um, and then I realized that this is what I like. I got my uh, electrical engineering degree. Um, I started working for a couple of organizations at, uh, or institutes at, uh, at UTSA. Um, one of them uh, hired me because I took some of their data and I uh, processed it and made it look magnificent, which they end up using for some presentation that, for a grant. Um, and so they hired me, uh, and then I went into the Open Cloud Institute, uh, where I started doing more, uh, uh, you know, computer system admin things, uh, big data things, and then I got hired by the uh, the Institute for Cybersecurity as a technology research analyst. And at that point, I started doing uh, more sysadmin. I started de- uh, deploying clouds um, and uh, working with the PhD students now to deploy their technology. We're going to take a quick break for news, traffic, and weather here on CyberTalk Radio, and I will be back. Machine learning and other things uh, about the Galahad Project in the second half of our program. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm uh, joined this week by two guests uh, from UTSA, uh, the University of Texas San Antonio. We're talking about the Galahad Project, uh, which is a way to uh, restrict and protect user apps and uh, control those user profiles so they can't do um, things that they should not do with their computers. Is that a fair way to super summarize that, guys? Yeah, I think so. It's a good way to start it. Yeah. Uh, so this half of the program, we're going to talk about um, how, as a, a researcher, you can use uh, Galahad to help generate some data sets for your machine learning experiments and uh, other activities. If you uh, just turned your radio on right now or just uh, in your car or just joined us on the iHeartRadio streaming app on your uh, Android iOS device or through your web browser, uh you can catch the first half of the program up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, September the 10th, or you can catch it on uh, all of the podcasting services out there all across the, the Internet. And if you have a favorite podcasting service where you do not see CyberTalk Radio or if you uh, are a bored college student and would like to launch your own podcasting service just to get a CyberTalk Radio T-shirt, you can do that as well. Uh, let us know on Facebook or Twitter. You do not, have, you do not see CyberTalk Radio on your favorite podcasting service. We will fix that, and we will get you a, a T-shirt for doing so. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that first half, we talked a, a lot about the history of the project, how it uh, got from, from uh, an IARPA research project into uh, the UTSA Institute of Cybersecurity. And uh, so we will uh, skip over that here and then kind of dive into the machine learning aspect. So um, I want to take a, a step um, and kind of zoom the camera out here for a minute and talk a little bit about machine learning inside of research projects and generating data sets and, and give uh, the listeners in the audience that are, are not struggling with this currently. And uh, we may have folks that are thinking about getting into data science or thinking about getting into machine learning and, and this type of research uh, that have not yet uh, run on the run into the challenge of generating data sets and, and making them useful. So, you know, what machine learning um, 
has been used and is good for in the you know last couple of years the focus has been is is you know taking uh uh patterns that can be detected inside data sets and then being able to come up with a uh decision um like blueberry know. muffin or chihuahua <laughs> yeah, pretty, yeah pretty much that's yes. like, yeah yeah if you haven't seen that yet go pick your favorite search engine and type in blueberry muffin or chihuahua and you'll see yeah so that's like a, a vision machine learning and people have been trying to help them figure out the difference between a puppy dog and a muffin anyway yeah. it started with with images right being able to detect uh, yeah. specific patterns within images like you know how to detect whether there is a tree in this image or a person in this image right and the same thing we're looking at from a in a data perspective right is do we detect some specific patterns of data that we deem um either malicious or benign or yeah. show something else yeah the computer security folks would really love to figure out the difference between a a good user and a malicious user or a person's normal user behavior profile and then all of a sudden some anomalous behavior on a on a different day and be able to spot precisely. and see that in a in an efficient manner precisely precisely and you know to in order to do that you need some platform or some mechanism to you know one generate lots of data um where you can pretty much control what kind of um you know behavior that you want to see in the data um and then that can be used as an input to your machine learning and you know it it seems pretty uh, you know like looking at it it seems simple to do but yeah. in actuality it is pretty hard to um uh, to come up with these data patterns um that are large in amount and uh, you know show some changes but you can control whether you know you produce good data or bad data or yeah yeah so uh as as you're doing some of the sort of stuff so if you're trying to get user session data um why would you use something like galahad versus just using something like libpcap or something else just to grab the whole raw session so <clears throat> you know one of the focus on um when galahad was being developed was to be able to have sensors and logging uh throughout the entire stack of an application um you know the the premise is that uh the application or the application host could be compromised um you know in a normal uh, virtual machine scenario right if you 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 have these um these loggers and these sensors that are on the virtual machine but if the virtual machine itself gets compromised then uh, you know pretty much you cannot um you cannot rely on the validity of those sensors and that data uh what we have in um in Galahad is uh you know since we have a nested hypervisor we bring up the vm that will be running the docker container so at every stack every point in the stack um in in the container the uh vm hosting the container the uh aws vm hosting the vm and at the hypervisor level we have these um um the sensor that log different statistics and so this gives you a view um more of a holistic view of exactly what's going on in the environment um you know vis-a-vis the behavior of the application and the user so you could you you'd be able to see if someone was tampering with things at the the different layers through the the stack there yeah that that's part of the benefit of this software we assume no level of trust on any layer so you know we once we have a deployment we're collecting data from every single layer and if they implement or if they uh 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 
penetrate compromise, yeah, any any layer we can start seeing anomalous, you know, uh, traffic or memory usage or network traffic or disk usage, whatever it's going to be, we can track it all. Yeah. Yes. If I like, if you, you think about something that I guess maybe many college students are uh, maybe familiar with is a. Uh, aimbots or other things in uh in different video games uh where you're, you're out there playing and someone's in, in put uh some software in between that that end client and the the server um to change the packets and change the traffic that uh you galahad you'd be able to notice that at the layer below that kind of container where the the actual game software client is running yeah you would yeah to see that the the difference in the network protocol behavior Correct, correct. And there's a lot of security built in to deny uh, access on different levels already. You know, Microsoft Word, for example, doesn't need SSH traffic. It should be blocked, but we'll also be picking up that maybe it's trying to SSH out. And then we can notice, hey, this network traffic is really peculiar yeah. uh, and it, it can flag it. So for for going through and generating uh, data sets, so you'll be able to get, um, like whether you're looking, I guess, it, you guys are using... Um, the is it IP tables these days or what is it using kind of at the network level or open V switch you'll get logs off of that uh, DNS I guess potentially logs there so a whole different wide variety of data sets you could create here with users interacting on a, on a Galahad platform yeah so one thing we have is a uh, framework of sensors that actually runs on the um, what we call is the the virtue which is the the VM hosting the uh, Docker one, containers. Yeah, one user's Docker containers. Yeah, one user's okay. Docker containers. And then we have the sensor framework. So, um, you know, we can develop more sensors that we need. Uh, right now we have a sensor for um, network activity that, you know, um, essentially just tells you how many packets are going in and out. Um, and it lets you apply firewall rules using IP tables. Uh, for the Docker container, we use AppArmor. Uh, for security policies, um, you know, of the container itself and something called SecComp. Also, we have uh, other sensors that uh, monitor, you know, sockets, for example. And then um, in in UTSA, we had a research project um, that required um, some other kind of sensor data that was not in Galahad. And, uh, you know, it took uh, one of our research engineers probably you know a week or two to develop based on the existing framework a set of sensors that uh, you know outputted memory and CPU information in the format that was required for that project yeah and so for the programming your own sensors what kind of languages can those be written in so actually it can be any language right now um, we have sensors that are um, in C in Python and shell script so that's um, useful for researchers. They don't necessarily have to go correct. learn some new specific sensor programming framework uh, to in order to use you know, your project to help them generate data sets. Yeah, that's right. Correct. We we have a system where the uh, the sensors all write to um, a, a socket and then use a syslog utility, um, um, you know, on a on a server. From, um, from there, it goes out to a, a NoSQL database. Yes. Yes. Correct. And you can pull that data and do whatever machine learning you you need on there. Yeah. Uh, so are there research projects that are ongoing right now that you guys can talk about some examples? Sometimes so, on the research project, people like to keep them real quiet. So I may have just asked a dead-end question here, <laughs> listeners, but they might have something we can share. So, yeah, we have one project that one of our students is uh, uh, was working on, and it's a, it's a, um, 
uh, since he's already graduated, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's public. It's his, his PhD is complete. <laughs> that's yes, right. That's yes. right. So it's 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 a black boxed uh, antivirus tool. So typically, right, if you detect a virus, it's it's because you have a, some sort of virus scanner on the system itself. But uh, it can be very um, system intensive running these scans and trying to detect. Oh, so sure. this with the with the size of like the number of viruses out there these days. Yeah, you can end up using all of your computing resources to make sure that you don't have a virus and then you won't get a virus because you can't do anything other than check to see if you have one. That's right. That's right. So so what this uh, tool that that this researcher developed was he looked at the system processes uh, and exported them um, into a machine learning algorithm. And from that, uh, and from outside of that layer, uh, on the hypervisor layer, he could detect uh, network and, and disk and processor usage. And what he did was he went in and um, trained the model for 15 minutes, uh, or let the, let the VM run for 15 minutes. And then he intentionally infected it with a ton of viruses uh, and watched the uh, processor change, or, or the processes change, the, uh, the network and, and uh, uh, CPU and and disk change, and he black boxed the VM, um, and he got to I think around a 97, 98 um, percent detection using machine learning without running a virus scanner. Yeah, and so that's that's one tool that were were um, that can definitely be applied into this uh, on the various levels: the the Docker container, the uh, the VMs, the the hypervisor. Um, you can you can look at and detect a malicious activity that way. Yeah, it's be fun for for anyone out there thinking about a project. I'll I'll throw an idea out. So set up a honeypot, use some of that research that was just completed, and and then instead of having to manually go check your honeypot all the time, you can find out if someone's infected. It you can get a ninety eight percent accurate alert uh, that something's happened. You can then close the honeypot down and then go do your research on what different people are sending across the internet these days. Yeah. Yep. So what uh, just like James said to follow up on it, uh, you know he the the student ran this for. Uh, you know, applications running in a cloud environment. And so he used a lot of uh, cloud resources to get this uh, data and then, uh, you know, train his model and then come up with these predictions. What we're trying to do is use his exact same mechanism and as a proof of concept, um, you know, port that to Galahad. So, you know, use the data in Galahad to, um, you know, discover malware and malicious activity in the same way he was able to do it on a standalone VM in a cloud environment. And getting data for a lot of people that are interested in machine learning can be difficult, especially if it's user-ended data like yeah. this. So, you know, this is a, a really valuable tool in, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, I just, as I think about different machine learning projects, if you wanted to be able to um, look at, at how users type if you were to provide a Galahad Word application and let people just get in there and whether they're typing, uh, copying something or whether they're typing uh, dictation or whether they're typing, you ask them to answer questions in a free form, you'll see probably different keystroke and press patterns and timing delays between them. So if you were researching those sorts of things, this type of platform would be a great, great way to go gather that information um, in, a, in a controlled way so the data is clean because it's hard to tell like on my computer, whether I'm typing a dictation, whether I'm writing an answer to a question, whether I'm transcribing a, a written something or else. And so gathering that type of data to do the research on those sorts of things is challenging. 
You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we're talking about the Galahad Project, uh, which is at UTSA, the University of Texas, San Antonio. Uh, and it's uh, the source code's out there on GitHub and GitLab. Uh, if you wanted to check it out and get involved, if you had just turned your radio on right now in your car or just turned on the iHeart streaming app, uh, welcome to the program. If you've been listening to us for the hour, uh, that's great. If you did just connect in, and this will be up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, September the 10th, uh, where you can hear this program in full and learn more about this project. So, uh, guys, as we've been going through this today, we were uh, talking a little bit about some of the concept um, with Galahad of, of protecting user apps versus client server apps. Uh, and this project not really being designed for client server apps help. Um, listeners understand like, what's a user app, what's a client server app, and then why is, is Galahad designed to secure those user apps? So the focus um, you know, of this project from the start was um, you know, taking into consideration a scenario where users in a uh, you know, security environment like uh, you know, CIA or you know, something to do with the government, um, you want to protect insider threats and uh, outsider threats, and uh, you know the trying to create um, a environment for users to be able to access their desktop applications um, with security in mind, right? And um, uh, from I, th- an un- I think from an untrusted desktop, even yes, 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 and I think the. Um, one of the examples given in the in the original BA from IARPA was that you know right now the way they do it is they have a uh, a Windows server running several virtual machines and those virtual machines are the desktop environments for users. So you know whatever threats that uh, Windows machine is uh, open to, that's pretty much the threats exposed to all that, the. That's work. a that's a fairly large attack surface. Yes. 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 Pretty much. So. Um, you know the um, the idea was to be able to uh, have some kind of uh, uh, environment for UC, so user computing environments, right? And then uh, build security in with with security in mind, build an infrastructure that'll help um, uh, environments like these. So the applications that we're talking about uh, from a user perspective are desktop environment applications like you know firefox your microsoft uh, office applications um, you know textpad terminals uh, stuff like that uh, we're not talking about um, client server applications like databases or um, you know uh, servers running uh, you know applications in the background which can be communicated with clients and stuff like that so uh, not not focused on machine to machine security. Correct, correct. Yeah. But you know, thinking about it now, once the project has come to UTSA and we've been brainstorming different ideas, the the Galahad um, project itself doesn't preclude uh, stuff like um, you know using IoT and uh, blockchain and even uh, client server applications, since. Um, the the concept is that we run a secure node on which some application runs and then a user um which doesn't need to be a desktop user uh, communicates with this application and then uses it in some way yeah so it could be an untrusted device communicating back and needing to execute some trusted code correct 
Correct. Yeah. Exactly. So um, now that, that you've uh, handed this project off from kind of uh, private sector, government funded research to uh, university research, uh, you, do you see the community growing? What are some of the targets for the Galahad project here over the next couple of years? So, you know, our, our focus um, uh, in the Institute for Cybersecurity is that, you know, we see the vision of this software being as a incubator. Um, uh, for being able to run different research projects, uh, generate uh, data, whether it's performance data or analytical data, and then being able to utilize them in um, you know, uh, coming up with metrics that can be used for publications and research projects. So what we're trying to do is develop the, um, uh, the Galahad project so that it can be easily deployed um, in different user environments. Um, by user I mean university or you know uh, different research researchers that have that don't have access to something like AWS yeah or don't have the the funds to right. for, yeah. for AWS yeah because you can you can run a, a small openstack footprint on a handful of servers yourself um, correct and then yeah have access to different layers of the hardware stack that you wouldn't necessarily get access to uh, in a, a public com cloud computing environment as well. So it depends on even where your research is running. You may not be able to do your research on a public cloud. Yeah, so our hope is that, um, you know, different institutions also recognize the, uh, um, you know, the, the research capabilities of Galahad and then uh, not only use it, but also develop um, more with this open source application so that uh, we can more easily cater to different scenarios that enable you to do uh, production quality research. With the uh, the Institute for Cybersecurity at uh, UTSA, uh, where inside of the university uh, is the institute? We're underneath uh, the computer science uh, department in the College of Science. Okay. So. And... And, and, and this is just always helpful because it's a big university, um, and even for some of the students at UTSA that are listening, they may have been aware of the College of Science, clearly, you guys getting a fancy new building, I think, uh, right now, uh, and the, the computer science department there. And then, because I know there's uh, cybersecurity uh, also in the College of Business at UTSA, and maybe even a third one of the colleges now, there's uh, some cybersecurity there's stuff going on. four institutes for, uh, well, not institutes, but there are four cybersecurity research uh, groups groups institutes yeah. whatever you want to call it at, at utsa okay so if i was going to look up for the institute for Cybersecurity to learn more about the galahad project uh college of science computer science and i'll find the institute there on, on that college of science website yes yes so um you know the all these cybersecurity groups uh are hosted in the um uh, you know one building that was uh designated for cybersecurity uh programs and uh, th this includes the Institute for Cybersecurity, which uh, you know we are under the College of Science, as, as you said. Um, um, the uh, business school has its uh, Institute for Cybersecurity also. Uh, I don't know what, what it's called. Uh, no, the CIA. Yeah, the CIA. And then Center for Information Assurance. Assurance. No, that's the third one. Oh, that's another one. Okay. Right. So <laughs> they mostly do training, and they are a separate entity. So they're yeah. not affiliated with any any college. Okay. Uh, they direct report directly to the uh, to the president. Okay. And and then the other one is the business school one. Yeah. So the the cyber threat defender card game, I think, comes out of Doctor White's 
Yes. Correct. Research, yes. which I think yep. is under the CIAS. Yeah, that we, is correct. Yeah. yeah, we had Dr. White on the program. For any listeners out there, if you wanted to learn more about some of the other uh, things going on at UTSA, uh, we've also had on uh, Dr. Nicole Beebe uh, from one of the other areas in there. College so, of Business. Yeah, she's in the College of Business and the Cybersecurity um, there. We talked a little bit about the National Security Collaboration Center, which is on your, your campus uh, right now, and, and a bunch of other things. So, yeah, lots of stuff going on out at, at UTSA. Um, and so, so for uh, folks here that are uh, going to write stuff down or they're going to check out our recap blog post uh, about the program, we'll include these URLs as well if you're listening and don't want to try to type them down right now. But um, So the website for the Institute for Cybersecurity at UTSA, what's the, the website there? That one's uh, ics.utsa.edu. And we have our uh, Galahad, our ICS uh, GitHub repo on uh, github.com slash UTSA dash ICS. Okay, and then slash Galahad if you want to go to the Galahad project. Any, anything else up there that uh, either of you are working on on that ICS page that we want to just do a quick mention here for at the end of the program? Uh, we're, we're doing a lot of uh, active research in uh, Internet of Things and IoT, IOV, uh, Internet of Vehicles uh, research. Um, we're just uh, pioneering uh, some research in machine learning. Um, cool stuff, yeah. No, I mean, I think this is... Uh, a great place if you're interested in uh, really understanding how to secure the next generation of, of what we're working on. Uh, UTSA is a, a great institute to reach out to and a, a wonderful uh, one to consider enrolling in one of those uh, master or PhD programs to go do your own research projects. Yeah, and the, the, the Galahad project, uh, you know, for, for anyone who's interested, it, it's really limited by whatever imagination you, you have, uh, whatever research you want to do. Uh, it's, it's a very broad platform that is capable of, of a, a ton of research. Yeah, it's great to, to see it contributed uh, to UTSA for uh, you guys to spawn this next generation of uh, research projects. So uh, if you uh, just hopped on right now, you're listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. Uh, we're wrapping up our program for this week. Uh, We've been uh, on the air now for a little bit more than three years, uh, so you can uh, learn uh, all about cybersecurity and other things on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. You can uh, check us out on your favorite podcasting service uh, where you can hear from, uh, as I mentioned, other professors at UTSA, but uh, folks from uh, all sorts of different cybersecurity backgrounds uh, in industry, uh, academia, and uh, even on the public policy side of things. We've had uh, people on talking about uh, election security and uh, all the rest of those systems out there that uh, we need to make sure uh, we keep safe in order to uh, continue to grow our economy and have a, a uh, an amazing country to uh, do research in. So thank you uh, both uh, for joining us on the program this week. Thank you. Thank you.